You can turn your Bibles to Matthew 26. I'm going to come there in just a moment. I wanted to say something to you in regards to what Brianna said earlier tonight. And that is the battle with the spirit of unbelief. And I'm going to give you a little nugget. I pray that you would take it to heart. I have witnessed this in the world today. I've witnessed this in Christianity. And I've seen this over the past several decades. And so I just want to stress this to you. And I pray that you will take it seriously. If your Christianity consists of living from one experience to another, you're going to oftentimes find yourself overwhelmed with the spirit of unbelief. If you are demanding that God do certain things in order for you to believe, you're going to really struggle from your own reasoning if God loves you or if God is for you or if God even cares about you. Jesus made a profound statement. It is proved to be true. He said to the people, if they will not believe Moses and the prophets, they will not believe the one were raised from the dead. And 2,000 years ago, one was raised from the dead. And most of the world still does not believe. And if you need a God who's going to jump through your hoops, number one, you don't need that God You need a bigger God than that. You need a greater God, one that we fall before, not one who falls before us. And that we would trust his word and we would go to God in his word. And I would say this is a fundamental problem with the battle with unbelief and oftentimes succumbing to it is the atrocity of the numbers of Christians who don't know their Bibles. They don't know their Bibles. We don't study our Bibles. We read other books and we read devotions and we read verses and we read chapters, but we don't study the Bible. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. If you're to believe in God, he has spoken clearly through his word and he confirms his word by speaking to you by his spirit who agrees with his word. So I I beseech you to be To delve into the word of God, dive into it, live in it, hunger for it, desire it. And if you don't, ask the Holy Spirit to give you a desire for his word and to love his word and to study his word. And and you will begin to find the truths of God and you will find Jesus just coming off of these pages, enriching your heart. And you will just thank God for whatever experience he gives you, but I don't need him to get to heaven or believe in God. Jesus lives, he's risen from the dead, and I believe that, and I believe Moses, and I believe the prophets, and I believe the apostles, and I believe Jesus. I believe this book, and this is what I stand upon, and my my experiences can confirm that or disagree with that. I don't care. I believe this. I believe what it says, and this is what I'm going to stand on. So I just say that to you. I pray that you will take that to heart. I want to talk to you for just a minute about this prayer conference Um, I I do not want you to misunderstand the heart of this prayer conference. I am not trying to get you to pray. I'm not trying to get you to say prayers. I'm not trying to get you into a better routine of praying. I'm not trying to somehow manipulate you into a habit of prayer. I pray that you will believe that there is a God who desires to love you. And be in fellowship with you. 
And that because of this God, this person, that you would really desire him. I pray that you would not hear a preacher's voice telling you that you need to pray. But I would rather pray that the deep of God would cry to the deep of you. And that your heart would respond. I pray that somehow in this weekend you would hear God say, seek my face. And your heart will say, God, your face I will seek. I just pray that we would love God. The sad truth is, in both Testaments, God does not have many friends. And we like to say that, or we may not like to say this, but what's often said from Christians is that God is boring. And I beg to differ. We're boring. God is not. I believe God, if he did sleep, would fall asleep in some of our prayer times. God is not boring. God is the most exciting and wonderful person you could ever be with. But you cannot know this apart from the Holy Spirit. You cannot have a relationship with an invisible God apart from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the greatest gift that is given to the believer to give you the capacity to walk with God. You are created to walk with God. And the Holy Spirit comes to show you God so that you can see him, you can hear him, you can smell him, you can touch him. You know when he's there. You know when he's entered. You know when the manifest presence of God is in your midst. So many times we experience it together and that is wonderful. But it is also the purpose and the intention of God that you experience his manifest presence privately as well as corporately. And I pray that you will desire this God and go after this God. I want to say this to you. There's something that I had written down that I wanted to go over. There is no amount of rest that you can receive outside of the presence of God that will give you rest. Nothing is going to restore your soul or your spirit but the presence of God. Andy Griffith's not going to do it. That might relax your mind, but it's not going to relax your spirit and your soul. The presence of God is the only answer to a soul that is weary, to a spirit that has labored hard and abundantly in the fields of God. Jesus taught us this. He often retreated to his father and he would spend the night in the presence of his father. After he had worked hard all day, he would go and spend this time with his father. And Jesus was refreshed and Jesus was invigorated in his spirit because he had been with his father. There's no amount of rest, no retreats that are going to take the place of God's presence. Only God can satisfy every aspect of your life. God will not allow anything else to do it. Only God can satisfy you body, soul, and spirit. Only God. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so for your body and your soul and your spirit, you need the presence of God. I'm not just saying a prayer life. I'm not saying a method of prayer. I'm talking about the presence of God. You actually enter into his presence. These are some things that we want to share with you and talk with you about tomorrow. Only God can satisfy the cravings of your life. If anything else did, like our tendency is, we would begin to worship that. So God's not going to let it happen. Many marriages are faltering because you think it's your spouse's job to give you contentment. Never. God is your contentment. 
And when the Lord is able to live through your spouse and you realize that's God that satisfies me, then you can become a benefit in your marriage and not drain it with demands that your spouse cannot fulfill. Anything else outside of God that you seek for satisfaction will destroy your life. It will destroy it. Outside of his presence, you will live a tormented life full of fear and full of doom. Only in the presence of God is there rest and is there peace. God has never brought anything into creation to take his place. And though God created a woman for the man, and you heard that right. God created the woman for the man. He never intended for his relationship with them to come to an end. Remember that. Though God has given us a body we call the church, he never intended for the church to usurp his fellowship with us, but to enhance it. It is God's presence that ministers life and joy. To come into the presence of God demands an act of faith. Your flesh will rebel. To believe that God is a rewarder will cause us to diligently seek him because we know he exists. At the right hand of God are pleasures forevermore. At the right hand of God is Jesus Christ. He is the pleasure of our soul. We don't have to seek anymore when we have Jesus. We found the water that satisfies. We found the bread that nourishes. We found the Savior who saves. We find the King who reigns. We find the God who is compassionate. We find everything in Jesus Christ. And nothing will satisfy us but Jesus. The closer you get to God, the more aware you will be of your sin. The most humble people in the world are those that live close to God. The most judgmental people in the world live far from Him. But the closer you get to God, the more aware you're going to be of your sin, the roots of sin, the sins that are in your heart, in your flesh, in your spirit. You're going to be aware of those. And you're going to live in deserted places, if you will. There will be times you feel, even though you're surrounded with people, that you feel alone. Because God is creating a hunger in you for Him, for more of Him. That we never feel like we have arrived as the people of worship or the people of prayer. Because there's always more of God to know. It's the most exciting and wonderful pursuit we could ever have. We must learn to walk in the presence of God. Every day of your life, God has prepared something to refresh you. God knows what you need. God knows what you need physically, God knows what you need emotionally, and God knows what you need spiritually. And God has taken it upon himself to be your caretaker, to nurture you, and to provide for you. Every day of your life, God has prepared what you need. And if we just go pray, or we just go read our Bibles, and we're not communing with God, we will oftentimes miss the very things that God has for us. His mercies are fresh and new every morning. And so we must look for these and expect these and enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise and come to his place, his feet, and and literally worship him. And so I just pray you take that to heart. That's not my message. That's just something I wanted to share with you that I'm learning about communing with God in prayer 
Matthew 26, I want to begin in verse 36. This is Jesus' last night. This is um, the, just moments before his betrayal. When he is turned over into the hands of his enemies. Who are going to falsely accuse him. Severely wound him. And eventually crucify him. Little do they know what they are doing. But Jesus is fully aware of what they are doing. If I be lifted up I will draw all men to me. Now is the God of this world cast out. For he would go to the cross and he would pay the debt of sin. And he would swallow up a world of corruption so that from his death and his resurrection would spring up the eternal hope and future of the kingdom of God on earth. As surely as his blood fell to earth, it demanded this world is mine. He bought it back and he shall have it. He shall reign. And so I want you to understand that this night, though it is going to be filled with horror and pain and suffering, eventually bringing hope and light and liberty and life to a world dead. This is a transition in the world and in history and time like no other. And Jesus knows it. And he says in verse 36, then Jesus then, then comes Jesus with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. I, I pray that we are sorrowful and heavy in the world that we live in today. That it affects our life. And a lot of this is what's wearying many Christians and ministers are greatly weary at the constant conflict and what seems to be the little profit that ministry is having in the world right now. And so this sorrow is in Jesus. It's exceeding. And he said to them, my soul is exceeding sorrowful. Verse 38 even to death, tarry here and watch with me. And he went a little farther and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he comes to his disciples and he finds them asleep. And he said to Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? It's significant. He says this to Peter, a man who said to Jesus just moments earlier, if everybody forsakes you, I'll die with you. Our confessions are amazing. What we tell God we will do when we can't even do things that are lesser than that. I would imagine it would be easier to pray for an hour than to die. But he can't even do that. And so Jesus is standing over Peter. What? Can you not even pray an hour? And he, and he tells them this to be careful, you know, because of the temptations that are coming. And he says this in verse 41. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I, I just want you to see something for a moment. How Jesus values prayer. How Jesus values intimacy with his father. 
how Jesus is desperate for this intimacy with his father. So learn this lesson. When Jesus' soul is exceedingly sorrowful, much more than ours have ever been, even to the point of death, what does he teach us? Get to the father. Get to the father. When you are weary and you feel that you cannot go on anymore, when you don't want to live anymore, when, when your world seems to be coming to a very painful end, get to the Father. Get some people to pray with you, but don't count on them. Get to the Father and pray because it is the temptation, the trial that is coming upon the world, the trial that is coming upon our life. How will we stand if we do not stand in the presence of God? What is our refuge if God is not our refuge? An empty confession of Christianity is not going to do it. A, a, a mere prayer closet is not going to do it. A living soul must have a living God. Where is God that I might go to him? That is the cry of the soul. And so I pray that we learn our lesson from Jesus Christ himself when you're exceedingly sorrowful, when, when the world in your world is coming to what seems to be a very horrible season, a very difficult season, get to the Father, pray, pray. That's the lesson that I learned from Jesus. I don't learn that Gethsemane is the, is the place that I can just complain and whine and cry. No, I'm getting to my Father because I know that he will give me the strength to do whatever it is that I am required to do. And so I encourage you in this. I want you to understand something about this that Jesus and we're taught here in Matthew chapter 26. That I think is phenomenal and we need to understand it. The end of the world as they knew it was, was really happening. There, there was a conflict coming with the power of light and the power of darkness there was a conflict that was about to take place in a few hours against the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan, against death and life and sin and righteousness and judgment and mercy. Things were coming to a cataclysmic moment and the world as they knew it was coming to an end for Jesus Christ in his death would now provide the means for this world to be resurrected into a world that would bring God glory we don't necessarily see that all the time, but this world as they knew it was coming to an end. A new day was dawning, but in order for that new day to come, it demanded a conflict, a conflict with hell. And beloved, we're living in the last days. We're living in the end of the world. We're not bringing paradise to this world. We're not Christianizing the world. But we are doing everything we can to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ and invite as many people into the kingdom who would come. But there's an antichrist coming. There is a conflict coming that as we like to talk about it, the end of the world. And for that end of the world, there demands a conflict. And if we are going to survive this conflict, if we're going to be effective in this conflict, we have got to get to the Father. We have got to pray. The only way your soul is not going to be exceedingly sorrowful in this night that we are living in. When you see a young generation that is mutilating itself sexually. 
And that does not break your heart and bring sorrow to your heart. When you see your beloved nation becoming more socialist and Marxist than it's ever been, and it doesn't break your heart. If sorrow is not affecting us, something is, is definitely wrong with us. But for those of you that care, those of you that see the homeless on our streets, those of you that see the sick, those of you that see people that can't afford to buy groceries, those of you that see those that are suffering and without God and addicted to drugs and, and, and opioids and, and, and all of these drugs that are crossing our border, and all we can do is sit around politically and complain, and we have no sorrow, then something is grossly wrong with the church of Jesus Christ. But when you have sorrow about this and your sorrow will increase, we've got to get to the Father. We have got to receive supernatural strength and supernatural comfort and power from God that will sustain us in the days in which we live. And and I believe that that is what the Holy Spirit spoke to me about this conference. If my people are not intimate with me, they will find it very difficult to stand with me in what's ahead. And beloved, I want you to know some difficult days are ahead. My spirit is sensing a stirring inside of it. If if you will, a, a type of sorrow, a recognition that something is coming. Something more than what we've experienced. We would pretty much have to be blind. This is certainly not prophetic. We would have to be blind to not see the signs. To see it in the news. I mean, even right now, there's a scuffle with the United States and Iran. What's that going to lead into? And is it any coincidence that Russia and China had just signed an economic agreement and they have become friendly? And Iran's in that partnership. And nobody's scared of the United States. So what could possibly be going on in the world? I said this before, and I, I, I say it to you, and I say it to the young people. My heart is sorrowful for our young people. Because what I, what I saw, what was going on in Asbury and Texas A&M and Baylor and Lee University and, and other places around our nation and, and places around the world where it seemed as though the Holy Spirit was visiting our young people. And he was visiting our young people without a cost. It just happened and it was beautiful and it was wonderful and people were flocking to it. Because there was no sacrifice. It wasn't like somebody was being killed and, and so Christians came out of that. No, it was just a chapel service and somebody stood up to repent. And then all of a sudden the Spirit of God just began to come and people began to pray and they, they just prayed and they just worshiped God and then other young people on other campuses began to seek God and people all over our nation, young people all over our nation were holding prayer meetings. Our young people were holding prayer meetings in here and it was just so easy and it was just so wonderful and I have to sit back and I have to think, God, why? Why did you do that? Why our young people? Why our college students? God, why did you visit them? And I'm not saying that I know. But I will say this, that God never does anything without a reason. And God knows what's coming. And perhaps there will be a war. Perhaps our young people will be called up in a draft. Perhaps they will be called out to fight in another world war. Perhaps they will see death. Perhaps they will see things that are horrific. Perhaps there will be incredible sorrow in our life. And if we don't know how to get to the Father, what will we do? God is calling our young people to intimacy with Him. That's what that was all about. They just wanted to be with God. They just wanted to be in the presence of God. And God showed the young people, I'm real. 
I am real. And thousands of young people across our nation knew that God was real. And it was not a fad and it was not for a moment. Because the thing is this, that there, are people, you, there comes a point where a believer has got to live in faith. And it can't always be because the presence of God is tangible. There has to come a point that all of those young people who were touched by God in that moment still believe that he is. And now when I can't feel him and there's not a manifestation of his presence, I believe that he is. And I'm going to fervently pursue him and I'll be rewarded by him because you believe that he is. And that has to be in, that has to be in you, young people. It has to be. Not when it's easy, but when it's hard. Not when God can be touched, but when he can't be. And you just know that he's there. And you're crying out to him and you're seeking him and you're pursuing him. And these are the things that are stirred up in my spirit that we know that we're living in the end of the ages. It's things that have to do with the end of the world. It's things that have to do with prophecy. I've had many people, many people in this church that have come to me and, and elsewhere in other, other states have come to me explaining nightmares and daymares that they're having. And that's what they called it. I had a daymare. I had a nightmare. I never heard of a daymare. To me, that's just waking up. <laughs> Every one of them said this is futuristic in its nature. It's like sci-fi. It's apocalyptic in its nature. Some of the things we're seeing with AIs, people are saying, I saw that in a movie a few years ago. And it's here? Some of you may not have a clue what I'm talking about with that. You will. But it's enough for these, these individuals to be stirred up to soberness that something is coming. They know, they are convinced that something is coming. Not just a few, but pastors are speaking to me. Telling me I'm done. I can't take it anymore. I'm tired. I'm weary. I'm unappreciated. I think that the church would be better off without me. Many of these ministers are being deserted in the midst of the battle by associates who are too weary to continue. And that's about as much as a minister can take. When his fighting companion in the foxhole turns on him and shoots him. Or when he jumps out of the foxhole and goes AWOL and leaves him to fight all by himself. As a minister, that's a, that's a nightmare that is hard to bear. That is a moment of exceeding sorrow. Get to the Father. Pray. Get to the Father. Solomon said in Proverbs 24.10, he said... If, in the, if you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. I used to walk around thinking how strong I was. Until I started falling a lot. And failing a lot. And I came to realize I'm not strong. I'm very weak. I wanted to be strong. I wanted to fulfill Proverbs 24.10. But I came to realize that my brother's strong. I'm not. My God is strong. I'm not. And my confidence is not in my strength to stand in the day of adversity. My confidence is that God will give me the supernatural power of his spirit, his grace to stand in the time of adversity. 
Pastors are either ascending, if you will, this mountain of the Lord, or they're running from their posts. It seems like there's no middle ground. Ministers are forced to make a major decision in their life. And if they continue, maybe in ministry, they may take their heart out of it. Because they've been so hurt and they've been so wounded. And now they're just performing a job and they're so callous they can't feel the need of the people or the cry of their God. Oftentimes your fight of faith minister is most challenged not by the struggle that you have with people on the outside of your church. But it's those within your church that give you the biggest heartache and the biggest fear and the biggest worry of what's going on in your life. Just like they said As they were facing the promised land, our brothers have discouraged our hearts. Not the devil, not demons, not the enemy, not not the social movements of our world today, but our brothers have discouraged our hearts. Sometimes that's the hardest thing of all. And we find out that we're not strong. We find out that we're wavering. And yet we got to put ourselves together and we got to pretend to be strong and we got to pretend to be mighty and we got to pretend that we're okay and we've got to pretend that we pray and we've got to pretend that we're intimate with God and we've got to pretend that everything is wonderful and we've got all of the answers for the world today. But the fact of the matter is we don't and at any moment any of us could fall apart. Absolutely fall apart and say I'm done with it. I'm going to get a job at Walmart and hand out carts. If God would let me do that, I would be so happy. Let me have Dollar General. I'll take tractor supply. Just let me have that. I don't want stress and I don't want worry and I don't want these problems. My heart cannot take it. You better get to the Father. You better get to prayer and let God help you because your brother is strong. Hast thou not known? Have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth fainteth not, neither is weary. He's the one that's strong. There's no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint. Admit your faint and he'll give you his power. Pretend to be strong and he'll let you run into the ground. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary. And the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. And I want to say this to ministers. I want to say this to those of you that serve God in whatever capacity. You're in a day you don't have to pretend anymore. Quit the game. Jesus Christ said, I am exceedingly sorrowful to the point of death. So you can speak real. You can show your concern, you can show your struggle, you can admit to your weaknesses, not that Jesus had any weaknesses, he's God, the perfect man, but we have weaknesses and we have struggles and it's time for us as ministers to lean upon one another and it's time for us not to think that we are the superpower and we have to pretend we've got it all together, but sometimes we've got to lean on our church, we've got to lean on our people, be able to say, I'm having a hard time. I'm having a hard time. You'll find out who your friends are and who your enemies are. Your enemies will say, That's, this is the time to take them down. They just don't realize that God's your strength. They have to overcome him first. So understand that. So I had this 
I had this thought about the military and particularly in the context of when a military deploys and sends its, its soldiers off to fight because there's a real conflict and a war. And before that time, the military trains its soldiers. It trains them in many ways, but three basic ways in discipline and education and familiarity. And so in all of this time of training, these soldiers are there in a controlled setting. And they're there being given orders and directions so that they will understand what discipline is. They will understand how to take an order. Because though they may not understand it, when they're being trained as a soldier on the military basis, if they don't learn how to take an order there and they rebel on the battlefield, they're dead. And so they might give the, the, the orders that seem to be so ridiculous, but yet it is to break down the rebellion and cause submission. And then there's education and the, the arena of being proficient in your duty and in your, in, in your equipment. So understanding your equipment, understanding how it works, understanding how to clean your weapons, understanding how, how explosive something is and the timing that you have to execute something and familiarity with your weapons as well. Not to just understand those things, but you got to use them. You got to fire the guns. You've got to learn to be able to hit your target. You've got to learn how to reload. You've got to learn to do it quickly. And you got to become familiar with the people that are around you because you're going to go fight with them. This is your family. This is it. And so you've got to become familiar with all of these things. And as any military would would understand it is an effort to prepare for war, but it has to fall short. Because no matter what the military does to prepare its soldiers for war, it cannot reproduce the smell of blood and phosphorus and sulfur and the cries of the wounded. They cannot get into the brain of these soldiers the reality of being shot at with the intent of killing you. But an excitement sets into the soldiers as they become disciplined and familiar with their weapons and skilled in the art of war. That they now feel like they are ready to take on anybody and anything. So excited to now exercise and implement what they've learned. Suddenly the, the call to war comes and deployment is at hand and now this excitement that's in the men becomes a real reality in their life. And they believe that they're ready for war and they're going to put their skills into action. And that is what their focus is. As they board their ships, they begin to experience sleepless journeys. Now understanding why we slept so little and we got up so early and we had to go so long during the day. As they get to the theater of war, they begin to smell the blood. They feel the percussion of the bombs as they're going off and they begin to understand there are people out there that mean to kill me. This is not safe anymore. This is consequential. When I was in training, it was pretty safe. Few people really get injured or die. But here, this is the real thing. I can smell it. I hear the men crying who have lost limbs. I can hear and feel the explosion of the bombs as they are set off all around me. And now fear begins to set in. This reality begins to set in. A soberness 
begins to hit them. And they realize this could be me. And then their sergeant begins to give orders. We're moving to the line. And as they're moving to the line, they're watching men that are on their side, but they don't know, being pulled from the lines and some being carried in stretchers. And the soberness begins to be even more real now because we're going to stand in the places where they were not successful. And now we're going to stand on those lines and we're going to engage the enemy and this is real. We cannot run home. We must be proficient. Lives are depending on me. My own life is depending on the fact that I stay alert and sober. Who could even sleep in a moment like this? I must watch my friends as they cry in their foxholes and behind enemy lines. As, or, or maybe as the enemies are facing us as they cry and they weep for their families and their comforts that they have had to leave. And I say this to you in our day today. Look at the numbers of people that are leaving the church. Look at the numbers of churches that are closing all across America. Look at the number of pastors that give up every month. About 1,500 pastors leave their post. Look at the number of ministers today. This is startling. The number of ministers today that are leaving the faith. Not just their work. Within the hearts of these men and their spirits. As they're waiting for the conflict to resume. Their minds race back. To their lives before, their wives, their children, their jobs. They think of a thousand things such as their future. The comforts of the barracks that they had to leave. Even the pleasantness of the training that they once despised. That was pretty nice compared to this. They should focus on what's before them, but their emotions take them back to a nicer day. A calm day of peace and no war. A day of practice and no consequences. But they're jolted back and forth by the memories that they have of ease and the sense of war. Every time an explosion happens, this fear slaps them in the face and wakes them up to soberness again. There's no running away from this. The ocean, our home is an ocean away. There's no retreat here. Soon the battle will rage again and everyone will be focused and everyone will be engaged. And in a way, this is how the Holy Spirit spoke to me about where we are. And I even think what we've entered into, and this is very real and it's very sobering. There are people sleeping in the foxholes. I don't understand it. There are people that want to believe this is a normal day and these are normal times and nothing significant is on the horizon. We might as well throw this away. Because Jesus speaks of the last days and he speaks of the perilous times to come. And he speaks of the trials and he speaks of the tribulation. And don't think because you're an American Christian it's not coming to you. I pray to God that it doesn't. But what are we going to do if it does? Pray. Get to the Father. But don't wait till the bombs are going off above your head to get to the Father. Get to the Father now. Consider this the wake-up call. Consider this the moment of truth. Consider this the enlistment of the soldiers. Whether you like it or not, it's better to fight on the winning side than the losing side. And it's far worse to be joined with Satan. You will lose. But if you join yourself with Jesus Christ, you can only win. The victory's already been won. You're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. You've overcome. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. And so the Holy Spirit explained it to me this way. And people are, as, as Jesus even warned in the last days, as it was in the days of Noah and Lot, and we like to define that, the abundance of sexual immorality, the coldness towards God. But, but Jesus defined the days of Noah and Lot not in that fashion. Jesus described the days of Noah and Lot as a climate that was severely away from God. But what was consuming the people was buying and selling and getting married. That's what consumed the people before the world was destroyed with a flood or before Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. They should have been awake just because of the immoral climate, but they weren't. They were just going about business as usual. I don't want to hear how bad it is. I don't want to think that we're in times of trouble. I want to believe that things are going to get better, even though they're talking about now this electronic dollar, everything else that we're facing in our world. I don't want to hear about those things, and we're like the days of Noah today as far as a church world is concerned. I don't want to hear about problems. I don't want negative. And Paul said, you would come. You are the people that want teachers and preachers to tell you what you want to hear and tickle your ear. And I say to you, throw those kind of preachers out. They're hirelings. And find preachers who will tell you the truth of Jesus Christ and preach the word of God to us. And not be high-minded or above us, but alongside of us, leaning on you as you lean on them. And we walk together trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's what must be done. It's what we must do. Because these are the moments that are here. It's not wrong to work. It's not wrong to marry. But Jesus is coming. The end of the world is coming. The fight is on. It's not a time to play games. It's not a time to ignore the real struggles of this world and that it's going through. We reminisce about the days of peace, about picnics and dates, but the fear would slap us back into reality. And likewise, my mind would race to other things, but the fear of the day would slap me into soberness. That fear reminding me, the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming. It would deal with sin in my life. It would deal with souls. It would deal with the harvest in me. To think that the Lord is coming. And I must play the man. Because I'm in the battle. It's not coming. It is here. And this is not practice. This is real. Thousands of our young people are dying in Baton Rouge from fentanyl. The battle is real. It's on our doorstep. But we don't like to see it. We like to ignore the homeless on the street corner. We want to pretend it's in another neighborhood. And we live in a safe neighborhood. Thank God it doesn't touch me. It touches us all. But maybe our hearts are too callous to know it. And I would dream and I would pray. I literally did. And I literally had this answer. My prayer was this. Dear God. Why can't we have the peaceful days. The pastors enjoyed a generation ago. Why can't we have the ease of the barracks. And the pretend to war. Why can't we just focus on church growth. And bigger buildings like our fathers did. And the Holy Spirit said to me, with no self-pity, he said to me, son, this is the day they dreamed of. And I chose you to live in it. 
And I know I have to get to the Father. I have to get to the Father. The key to success and sustaining your life in Jesus Christ has been echoed to us through his word. And I'm not going to be much longer. Moses endured because he saw him who was invisible. And the apostle Paul said, everyone forsook me. But the Lord, he stood with me. And John wrote in his epistle, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We touched him. We saw him. We heard him. And he has filled us with joy. And our fellowship is with him. He didn't say our fellowship was with him. Our fellowship is with him. And I'm writing this to you so that you can fellowship with us. So your joy will be full. Fellowship with God. Not falling short by getting to a church service. Not even getting into an altar where you can experience the presence of God with other people. But, but actual fellowship with God. Cry of the heart, the longing of the soul and the spirit, desiring God with all of your might. It's what I'm reminded of that Jesus did in Matthew 26. As he went after his father. When his soul was exceedingly sorrowful. But I thank God that God's companionship is not just for my times of sorrow. God's companionship is for my times of joy. God is my best friend. I met him when I was five. I was baptized in the Holy Spirit when I was six. And I can testify to you. He's the only one that can keep your heart on fire. And, and without him, listen to me, without him, you can't pray. You can't. And here's the fact of sleeping. The bombs are going off all around us. Deployment has occurred. The world is in jeopardy. The end of this age is here. And a new age is coming and it demands a conflict. And Christians are living with cold hearts. More consumed and occupied with the world. Than they are with the fact that there's a world out there that means to kill me. And it means to kill my children and it means to kill my grandchildren and it means to shut our churches down. But who in the world do they think they are? Do they not know that when you strike the church of Jesus Christ, you strike him and he will respond. But how does he respond? What do we do? We form a committee. We get a bunch of people together that give money to the church. And maybe they've been in the church for five years. And we get with these people and we sit around and we talk. What can we do? They're telling us we can't go to church anymore. They're telling us we can't meet anymore. They're telling us only 10 people can meet anymore. What do we do? 
But there's a speaking God the whole time who never saw this, who who was never caught off guard by anything that comes and always had a direct road through everything that he does and will never speak in a confusing way or two different things. The way is plain, the way is clear. And beloved, we have to walk in the presence of God. He's our greatest friend. I have, um, and and the worship can come up. I have oftentimes, I have oftentimes not been able to sleep at night. Because I think about him. I just think about him. And my soul, my spirit just gets so excited that I just want to be with him. I'm with groups of people. And there is something that is raging in me. I just want to go and be alone with my friend. I just want to sit with him. Daryl called me today. Not well, sick. I'm like, God, what do you want to do tonight? And I heard the Lord say, you tell them what I told you. This is the day they dreamed of. I chose you to live in it. And young people, you have no idea what's coming. But this God does. And he's the only one that can carry you through it. And he's the only one, parents, that can give us a heart to sustain the sorrow that we're going to experience. And to celebrate and to get every ounce of the joy out of which we're going to experience. I'm calling you. On behalf of a God who loves you and he misses you, he longs for you, he wants you, he wants you near him, he wants to speak to you, he wants to comfort you, he wants to provide for you, he wants to protect you, he wants you. Don't ask the questions, well, I'm not holy enough. Jesus has answered that for you. And now by his blood, access to God's presence is wide open. You can come through his blood. And you can rely upon the grace of God to give you the wings of eagles to soar with God. In a world where even young people are finding it very hard to keep walking with God. And that it would be said that the secret of your life was not that you didn't have problems and it's not that you didn't have sorrow. You had a father, a father, like Andrew said to us, our father. You had a father that you could get to. And he fed you and he comforted you. Beloved, he longs for you. He misses you. He's not impressed with your ministry. He's not impressed with your singing. He's not impressed with your praying or your teaching. He's not impressed with all that you're doing. He wants you. He wants your heart to want him. And I pray tonight that you would say from your heart, Oh God, oh Father, from my heart, I will come to you. I will come to you.